What goes into making an iconic building in America? What are the stories and who are the people behind the next generation of architecture? If your work touches the real estate industry in any way, or you're just curious about what goes into one-of-a-kind cities and towns all across our country, join us on the American Building Podcast. In Season 2, we learn about everything from skyscrapers to single-family homes, from the famous and soon-to-be-famous designers and developers responsible for them. This season focuses particularly on the pandemic and how our buildings will change in response. Our sponsor is the iconic design firm Michael Graves Architecture and Design. And now, your host, award-winning architect-turned-entrepreneur, Atif Khader, AIA. My name is Atif Khader, and this is Conversations at Michael Graves. We are recording from the iconic home of architect Michael Graves in Princeton, New Jersey, right next to the office of the world-renowned design firm that bears his name. In this series, we will hear the stories of American buildings from the perspective of the architects and developers who are constructing them. They will talk about the process and the product on a deeply personal level, highlighting the teamwork, integrity, ingenuity, empathy, and commitment that is necessary to produce these works of art gracing the skylines of our cities and towns. Today, our guest is Samer Hanini. Samer is the founder and managing partner of the Hanini Group, a development company with an affiliated architecture firm, Brick Design, and construction management firm, Hanini Construction. We will be talking about the People's Bank building, his recently completed 120,000 square foot mixed-use building in downtown Passaic, New Jersey. This historic landmark was originally built in 1931, and after standing empty for nearly 30 years, was completely renovated to include both retail and office. Samer and his team served as developer, designer, as well as construction manager. Samer, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. So I want to turn the clock back to the 1990s when you were a recent graduate of NJIT, the New Jersey Institute of Technology. You and your brother, Thafer, decided to purchase a building shell by auction in Newark. By all estimates, you both were crazy. Could you talk more about that very first project as a developer and why you decided to make that leap? Um, so uh, I still remember it was, uh, it was roughly 2004, so we were... Uh, I was in NGIT, I was working out at the gym, and uh, a buddy of mine, uh, a classmate, Paul Giomona, was, was also working out. And uh, me and him always trying to figure out a business model of sorts. Whatever. So I said, Paul, there's, a, there's an auction coming up in the city of Newark. They got a bunch of buildings. Let's, uh, let's try to bid on them. He's like, sure, let's, let's, let's give it a try. So we, we looked at the list of, uh, of buildings. We, um, we toured all of them. We only found one that we really liked. Uh, unfortunately, we actually uh, we missed the window to, to, to view the properties. So we could only bid on them on just from the exterior, which was a little scary when you know it's your first development. But yeah. you know, the, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of stupidity involved dice. in development. Just so you guys know. <laughs> so, um, so we ended up uh, we we put a we figured okay, what would the property go for? Sure. We said it's probably going to not go past four hundred thousand dollars. So at that point, we were all just working our our nine to five jobs, and you know, we were just right out of school. So uh, we, we, we scraped together between uh, our, our family, his family, and a lot of credit cards. We scraped together <laughs> the 10% deposit that we needed for the, for the bid. Uh, so we, we had that check ready. We went, we bid on it, and it ended up selling for $315,000, which, 
which was uh, a little more than we, uh, if, if there was just one lady that didn't bid, we would have gotten it probably close to 250. Anyway, we ended up buying it for $400,000. And uh, I'm sorry, $315,000. And then we started the process of, first of all, actually, the, the funny part is when we entered the building, there was an actual tree in the middle of the building. Like physically, a tree was growing up three stories in the middle of the building. And not a decorative element part of the landscape? Nothing, nothing. This, was, no, this okay. was definitely due to neglect. And uh, the, the first floor was structurally supported by the tree and the carpet. <laughs> and it goes to show you that plastic will definitely out, outlive nature. Wow. <laughs> the nylon in the carpet was actually holding up the first floor. Uh, it was great. Uh, it was very scary. We, we ended up, uh, we, we, we didn't even have the keys. We cut the lock. We entered the property. And then we just started demolition. Uh, on the inside, we literally demoed everything uh, just from brick to brick. And even the roof was off. So we just literally had to show. And when you say we, that's you, your brother, a team of workers. What was this no, like? No, no, no. It was me, my brother, my younger brother, my dad, Paul, his brother, his dad, and any of my friends that I could find. <laughs> we, uh, it was a challenging, it was a challenging project. So over a period of two years, you know, after work, weekends, and whatever we were in there, we physically did all of the work in the property. Sure. Uh, again, we were, we came from fairly humble backgrounds, so it wasn't like we didn't have the check just to write. We had to put in a lot of sweat equity. We, we couldn't hire contractors. We ended up doing a lot of the work ourselves. Uh, we were fortunate uh, to get a bank to finance uh, a portion of it, but the, the rest we had to kind of scrape up together. So a lot of uh, friends and family and you know, begging and whatever to, to get the, 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 the funds needed to build the property. How did that hands-on experience in that first project influence the subsequent projects you decided to pursue after that? Uh, the, 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 the good and the bad of this project, even though it took us two years and it took a lot of work, we were able to go to our future investors and say, listen, this is what we started with. This is what we have. Yeah. It was a real life model of our ability to deliver. And a lot of investors and a lot of people with like, high net worth want to see uh, the, the skill set, want to see the passion in delivery because they know development is, is such a difficult business. Uh, and and for, for, for you to, to, to spend two years and, and putting all that time and effort and, and everybody in your family putting it in, yeah. investors uh, look at that as, as a huge, uh, huge up for, for you as an, invest, uh, as an investment. So it did help me in our next round when we, in our next project, we actually brought our investor to the building. We had our office on a top floor sure. at that point and, and we brought her to the building and we said, right, here's what we did with the limited resources and here's the delivery, here's what we were able to get out of nothing. Sure. And she was very impressed and then that's when we started on our next project. So from that first project uh, through to the People's Bank building that we'll talk about today and beyond, uh, your specialty that you've carved out is historic redevelopment projects. Right. So you mentioned already that the development's a pretty hairy process as it is. What would you say are some of the, the skills that are necessary to succeed in that particular subset of uh, redevelopment as opposed to new construction? So, uh, I mean, historical restoration for us just came out of just pure necessity. I mean, uh, as much of us as, as many of us know, Newark ha has struggled, has gone through some difficult times. And when we started developing, it, not many large projects were happening. It was still challenging. 
and they had they have and had awesome building stock so the buildings that you walk around if you walk around downtown newark you just look up and you see all the history you see all the the, the beautiful details that's particularly like broad street and market yeah market and broad street some of the most gorgeous buildings in in, in this area are, are built in downtown newark and i think um you know we started in newark we were there you know much of it by luck a little a little skill involved yeah. But uh, we were lucky. I mean, and we, we, hit, we hit Newark and we hit it at the right time. And we were forced into the restorations because uh, the, the, the market in Newark didn't justify new construction. So we were able to find these buildings that had awesome bones uh, and a lot of history and learn how to make a business model out of it. Okay. Now, the beauty of historical uh, restoration, and if you do it right, you're able to qualify for historical tax credits. So... And our construction costs were those of New York construction costs or Jersey City construction costs. But our income was probably a third of it. So how do you justify building new or a rehab in Newark when the rents don't justify it? Got it. So the only way it works is with incentives or programs like the historical tax credits. So uh, we were kind of forced into this business and we learned a lot about, you know, uh, applying for tax credits. I mean, we, we, we've done a ton of different tax credit programs like for the hotel indigo i want to say there was probably 10 different capital sources so you have historical tax credits new market tax credits uh, tax abatement uh, uez loans um, uh, erg program from new jersey eda uh, city subsidies city grants you name it we got it to get this project going because again you're, you're trying to compete with new york with their pricing and you want to build that product in newark um, that was good and bad it, it was it was good because we came out of nothing and we were able to produce this stuff. It was bad because you needed to make a business model. Sure. Right. So uh, we kind of just, you know, with all that help and obviously the, the support from the city, sure. the support from uh, the governor's office, all of the entities, the, the government officials that were in the area really wanted projects like this to succeed. So we had a lot of help and a lot of programs that they were able to give us. So it sounds like the, the secret sauce that you've, that you've been able to develop is a technical expertise in terms of the architecture and engineering of buildings like this, the ability to creatively assemble capital, and the, able, the ability to have uh, the city and local government be supportive of what you're looking to do. Right. It's those three things together. Right. And a lot of luck. And a lot of luck as yeah. well. <laughs> I'm sure that's part of the equation yeah. too. So in the context of the People's Bank building, mm -hmm. so it's a 12-story building that was built during the depths of the Great Depression, and in subsequent years, it uh, saw uh, in a similar way to Passaic its rise and fall as an industrial city. Uh, this is particularly one that's unique because it's so tall in comparison to the buildings around it that when we went to visit recently, recently you can see it from miles away. Right. Um, what were your first impressions of that building when you went to visit? Uh, so my first impression is it, it reminded me of the Hotel Indigo. Okay. Similar height. Your similar, project in, in, Newark, in New downtown Jersey. Newark. Yeah, it, it was a that's a Cass Gilbert building, uh, a very prominent uh, cornice. It was just it's a gorgeous building, but it had similar um, similar structure. It was tall and slender. Uh, some of the challenging things with with historical buildings like this is when you build them tall and slender, there's not much um, uh, real estate that you could rent, right? Between the elevator shafts, between the staircases you're left with a very limited amount of square footage to make a business model out of. Okay. So when we walked in, we had that in mind. So we, had, we wanted to make sure that you're creating, you know, you're creating all this infrastructure. What's the net 
uh, rentable area that you have. Um, and so that, that on a structural level, that's what I saw. Uh, on a physical, like actually walking through the building, it had a bunch of challenges. So the, first of all, the, the, the whole interior was demoed. Unfortunately, you know, the historical detail that we, we cherish and we love and, you know, from our experience in Newark, that's what we love most about these buildings. All these little details, all these bronze finishes and cool stair treads and all this stuff. They, they weren't there. It was totally gut on the inside. What had it, remained? Uh, the exterior. I mean, we had, we had a, we discovered a few, uh, mosaic floors, uh, on the entry that w which we restored. We discovered, uh, obviously the, the, uh, the prominent detail in the building is this two story atrium. Sure. It's a 25 foot, uh, interior volume of space on the second floor. That's, that's very, very prominent on the street. So that was there as a, as a volume. Um, and just the exterior details. I mean, uh, the, uh, the brickwork, uh, the, uh, the, the limestone details on the outside, the coins of the, yeah. of the craftsmen, the, the pictures on the outside, they were there. Those we are the, uh, the terracotta medallions that show yeah, different yeah. trades. Different trades from the area. So I, I, I learned obviously afterwards of what they were for. They were, they represented all the people that worked in the area. Okay. Passaic was big in, in industry, uh, uh, millwork and, uh, uh, steel work and, and trades like that. So they, they represented those with those medallions. Um, and, and the prominence of the building was probably the biggest historical detail. Like sure. you could drive down the, the adjacent highways and you could see this building from all around. Uh, and uh, it was, it's funny because when we first started it, it wasn't prominent at all. You just saw the building. And when we started construction, we demoed everything. We put construction lights up. And I, I recall the first day driving down Route 21 and I looked to the left and I, I saw this tower that was lit. And it was a new detail in my drive because it, was, it wasn't lit for 20 or 30 years. So it was essentially abandoned for decades yeah. before you came. Yeah, and, and it's funny because it, 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 that's how I reacted to it. And every city official that I talked to, the first 20 seconds of talking about the building, they say, you know something? I finally see a lit tower in Passaic and it makes me proud. So just those things is part of the historical details of the building. It was the tallest building and is still the tallest building with, for, from all the surrounding cities. And you had mentioned that uh, similar to that first building where there was a tree growing inside yeah. and that was part of the, one of the things you needed to address. Uh, with this building having been empty for two decades, right. could you talk about some of the, the damage or some of the structural and architectural issues that you needed to address because of the abandonment. Sure. Uh, so nature always plays a role in our buildings for Rain, some reason. Water. So so wind. you go down to the basement and there was eight feet of water. Literally, what is it? Ten thousand square feet of eight feet of water. So you had a swimming pool. That's basically the, the yeah, idea. Under yeah. the building was an old stream. They built on top of the stream. So they always accommodated it somehow, but because we lost power and it was, wasn't maintained. The pumps obviously didn't work. And the only thing you get is a lot of water. So uh, the biggest challenge was to empty out the water long enough for PSENG to come into the basement and give us permanent power. Okay. So it was a constant, like we had generators there for months until, uh, until we're able to put permanent power, put a permanent uh, sump pump system, 
a redundant one to that and a redundant one to that. So just in case, you know, God forbid something happens. If there are another like large rain or... Yeah, you never know. And, and it's, uh, you go to the basement now and there's a constant stream of water coming into the building. So you have a four inch pipe that we, we, we put a underground uh, pump system sure. and four inches of water constantly flows into the basement. So we have this massive sump pump in the basement that, that pumps the water out. Yeah. So that's, that was the biggest like... Uh, like serious architectural serious engineering architectural issue. Detail. The other thing is, what do we do with the volume space on the second floor? Sure. So, you know, banks, when they, then, when they were built at that time, that, that grand lobby, that grand bank space was important to show the stature of the, of the space, sure. of, the, of the teller space. This idea of a signaling. Yeah, it's just to show, you know, to show wealth, to show uh, dominance. And what do you do that in, in present day in, in, a, in, a, in a city that, that has its own issues, what do you do with such a grand space? Sure. You can only do a couple of things with it. You either do like a, a venue space or you do very high retail, but how do you heat it? How do you circulate around it? How do you make use of the, the windows? You don't want to, if you'd lowered the ceiling, you would affect the windows. Sure. Again, the, the most prominent detail of this building is this atrium space. You have to respect it somehow. So, uh, and make a business model out of it. You know, as we're doing these projects, you know, uh, we're always doing the numbers. You know, we like going to these cities. We like doing these projects. But at the end of the day, these projects have sat around for a long time for a reason. Because they're hard to work on. They're hard to make a business model. They're hard to pay for. They're hard to build. So when we're doing these projects, we're, we're layering in the business model. You have to do it. And when we're working with, uh, with SHPO or the landmark commission, the local landmark commission, even though they, they're the, the financial portion of the, of, the, of the building doesn't concern them, but it's reality. And they've always been awesome working with us. So we'll present them the problem and we'll say, listen, here's our suggestion. Here's what we could do to make this thing viable. Because without that, without making that, that volume usable, the building really is not going to be presentable to the street. So we had, we had proposed putting a, a mezzanine space in there. To basically time, break up that second yeah, floor into so two. Yeah, so the second floor, but we respected the windows. So we, we yeah. set it back a whole, a, whole, uh, a whole bay. And those windows being one of those incredibly unique, beautiful architectural elements. Right, and even like the railing was all glass. So we, we tried to respect the the uh the the windows as much as possible from the street view we didn't want it to be too um too uh, too pushy as far as the, the 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 mezzanine goes so we set the back the mezzanine as far as possible we we ended up signing uh, a fitness blink fitness to the second floor so they enter from a retail space on the first floor and then they have two floors of uh, of a gym space it's a great thing because from the street you see you always seeing the light that comes from the from the gym, yep. and you, people are working out, and it, it really uh, complements walking down Main Street. You get to see activity, and that activity helps. One of the one of the things that the city wanted was to activate the building to help uh, revitalize all of Main Avenue. One of their biggest issues was this building. I mean, we were talking before about the scaffolding. The scaffolding sure. outside sat for I think close to six years. So they had sidewalk, a sidewalk shut up for six years. This, you know, the plywood up, it was painted horribly, and it just sat there. And it was real uh, a challenge for neighbors 
to make a, to, to have their business kind of flourish. So they were excited to see this building come back to life, and, and obviously they were, they were awesome. I want to say they were probably one of the best cities to work in. They, they bent over backwards to make sure that whatever we needed to get done would get done. But uh, the, the atrium space, that, that double-story window, was important in giving back to, this, to the streetscape. So uh, I'm really proud of, of, uh, of the end result of it because it actually brings a lot of light to the street. And the more light, the more activity helps other retailers on the street. And now they're actually going, they, I think they were approved to do, redo their whole streetscape. So they're going to change all of Main Avenue. Not uh, just the one around this building. Not just the, the, the whole Main Avenue. And that was, this was part of their application to, they, I think they got a grant from uh, either state or a federal program to redo the whole, the whole main, main Street for, um, to redo the parking and, and street safe and stuff. So in the context of those first few visits that you made to the building before you uh, signed on to be the, the developer, you saw these uh, architectural and engineering challenges. You saw the state of the historical details that were in the building. And uh, within the urban context of Passaic, low median income, low uh, high school graduation rates, high crime. What was the, that thought process that you mentioned in terms of going uh, through and understanding what you can get for the returns from a project like this and all the financing structures um, that occurred for you in this context, since you'd, you've been a developer for about 10 years by the time that you came to this building, did a lot of that happen just kind of in your head as you were going through it in the first visit? Or was there actually a really long, lengthy process before you even decided to pursue the project? Um, the interesting thing with Passaic, uh, even though they have their own economical challenges with uh, some of the residents that are there, you walk down uh, Main Street and there isn't an empty shop. So... And that says a lot about the community. It's basically high foot traffic. People are coming Unbelievably through. Unbelievably high foot traffic. There's no storefronts that are empty. Uh, you go there on a Saturday, you don't find a spot. It got to a point where we had to actually just, you know, rent a bunch of st spots for our, our team sure. because we never found a spot. And that says a lot. I mean, yeah. so as, as concerned as I was about retail, and I'm very concerned about retail, just across the board, you know, in every development, retail is now sure. the biggest obstacle. Uh, I wasn't concerned. I mean, because, okay, we might, maybe we don't get a national, which is fine. We don't need a national tenant. Uh, having, you know, a local, a mom and pop, and uh, that sort of retailer is sometimes better than that corporate signature from a national brand. Because a lot of these mom and pops, and you, you go down the street and you see them everywhere. So you know they're committed there. You're not, you don't get a lot of turnover with the retail. So you know the, 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 pro, the, the stores that they're opening up are sustainable. And when you see that, the retail wasn't too concerned, too concerning for me. If I walked down and I saw, you know, four rent signs every other street, every other store, I would be concerned. I'm like, all right, let me not underwrite the retail at all. Let me just assume it's going to be vacant. Sure. But in this case, we, we were comfortable. We were concerned. Our, our biggest concern, economic looking at the building, was, you know, the building, is it going to be office? Is it going to be residential? Uh, our first... Did you consider residential seriously? So we... Our first step with every every building is residential. I mean, that's where I want to. You know, the residential is is what developers are looking Low for. Low vacancy, easily financeable. It's just easier, less risk. People have to live someplace, so you, you know, uh, residential will, will be a safe bet. Um, and office space and retail has been a challenge. Okay. 
but what we did know is Passaic wants this building to survive, wants this building to come back to life. And um, people from the Board of Education we are, were getting uh, squeezed out of their existing office space, so they were looking for another space. So we said, you know what, let's, let's sit down and talk. Let's see if we could accommodate your needs and bring this building back to life. So early on in the discussion, we sat with the Board of Education, we found out what their needs are, and we ended up reaching some, some good terms, and they ended up taking the top seven floors of the building, which you know for us was great. We had to now deal with the, the retail, the atrium space, and a couple of other floors, which was still risky, but was very manageable. So we got started with that. Then we went to the city and we talked about, you know, we needed help with the facade. You know, uh, it's a very large building with a lot of exterior facades. I so mean, literally four facades. There's no back. Yeah. Back. So that's that's another challenge of the building. It sat on an island on its own. It's on a block and uh, you had literally four sides to deal with. So, you know, where where's your maintenance entrance? Where is your back of house? Where's all that stuff is was a challenge. So um, they end up giving us a facade grant to change the windows, which was great. Uh, so w with the city uh, on that, it was through a UEZ program. Uh, so through that and through the cities, uh, we had a, um, uh, we talked to them about the tax abatement and structure for a tax abatement. We ended up getting that done. I want to say the entitlements from start to finish was probably six months, okay. which was like, you know, record breaking. I mean, the, the city of Passaic was awesome. I mean, I, I can't say, um, I can't say more good things about it. I mean, uh, Joe Buga, who, who runs the, the UEZ and who's, was our point person there was one of the best guys to work with. I mean, uh, the, um, the, the actual, the person who maintained the building uh, was a relative of his, and his, he, had a, he had a room in the basement. So that was his room. Uh, so it was great to work with Joe Buga and, you know, you know, and, and help bring back to life a building that he, he, was, he was part of. Great, so in the context of talking about the project from the first time that you visited to deciding to be a developer and then getting started with the design strategy. A lot of that story uh, is intertwined with incentives. So in order to get a better understanding of all of these really complicated financing pieces, let's go one by one to get an understanding of, of each of them individually and how they combine together. So uh, the first one, so get ready for the acronym SOUP, uh, UEZ, so Urban Enterprise Zone you had mentioned. Could you um, explain what particularly the benefits were of that program and what the requirements were of you to pursue that program? So the UEZ is a state program. Uh, it, it gave you, uh, 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 for sales, it gave you low interest, uh, low sales tax. So like you see the 3% sales tax, that's all UEZ programs. So any of the stores you see, like in Jersey tax, City or Jersey Newark. City or, or Elizabeth or, or Newark, they all had that 3%. So that was part of the UEZ program. It also had 0% sales tax for construction okay. and services in, develop, in, in areas like this. So all of the construction products that we bought didn't have sales tax on them. And it also had a facade program attached to it. Okay. So uh, they would get a pool of money uh, in the city. Every city had its own pool and they're able to use that, those UEZ funds to help revitalize the downtowns, the, the main streets, the, the areas that have all of the job, the retail jobs. So fortunately, uh, they had some, some funds in their UEZ program. And this, this building has, in, in the past 10, 20 years, 
it's always been an impediment for them to, to develop the, their main street. Okay. So uh, they were they were very eager to help us with the windows. So we ended up uh, applying for a, a UEZ grant for that. And uh, luckily we were able to get that. And then that was able to, to, to get that done fairly quickly. Okay. Now give us a ballpark of, given these are different streams of benefits, what the overall value of partaking in the UEZ benefits were to a project like this? Like you're saying dollar, dollar, yeah, dollar amount. I want to say on the, on the windows, I think we had uh, we had like half a million dollars. Okay. Uh, you know, the windows alone were probably double that. There's so many windows. Yeah, so it, it's not a huge portion of the capital stack, sure. but honestly, uh, we learned from all of our projects in Newark. Any little bit counts. Sure. Um, we even get uh, we've even applied for uh, grants for like uh, PSE&G for energy. Uh, upgrades and things like that. Okay. Those are even smaller dollar amounts. Sometimes it's not worth the brain damage, but it, again, in these projects, wherever you could find it, you have to go for it because uh, these projects are hard to finance. So you have to take off as much as you can off of the, the equity needs. I mean, one thing that you do learn doing these developments in downtowns, you learn how to read a lot. <laughs> and, to invest, <laughs> and to read quickly. Read too. quickly and, and, and know you know where to invest your time with these programs there's tons of programs sure the question is does it make sense for this particular project and sometimes the programs don't mix so you can't mix two state programs sometimes you can't mix two city programs okay. you can mix federal state and city but you you know you have to kind of pick and choose how you put them together and that's why incentives can be incredibly challenging yeah yeah so the other the other type of incentive that <clears throat> the other type of incentive that you pursued was tax credits. Um, sorry, let me say that again. <clears throat> so the building is also eligible for tax credits, and there's two different types of tax credits that you pursued on this project. So there's uh, HTCs, historic tax credits, like you had mentioned, as well as uh, new market tax credits. Could you explain what both of them are and what their benefits are? So historical tax credits is a federal program. They give you 20% of the development cost as a tax credit to the project. Okay. So what does that mean? First of all, the building has to be a qualified landmark or a contributing building in a historical district. In Newark, we have five historical districts and there's a ton of contributing buildings. So that's kind of easy, you know, easier to yes. do. In Passaic, there's no historical district the buildings there i think there's probably two I, I could i probably got this wrong two or three historical buildings this building wasn't it wasn't wasn't done so we before we even applied for historical tax credits we had to make sure the building qualifies to receive the historical tax credit so yeah. this was one additional step typically uh, applying for historical tax credits is a three three part process part one is confirming that the building is a historical building Part two is, um, is uh, the proposal on what you plan to do with the building while maintaining the historical details. Okay. And part three is when they come and they inspect everything uh, that was built and it was according to the plans. So uh, typically, if you're in a historical district, part one is done. You have nothing to worry about. Sure. With this particular building, we actually have to apply part one and, and, and justify why this building is historic and it's important for the area. Now, one of the biggest problems is that the building was demoed on the inside. There was no more historical details. So we had to justify that the exterior was enough, um, enough importance 
to the area to justify that. So that was a little bit of a challenge. Um, and the mezzanine on the, uh, on the second floor was also a challenge. So those were two challenges. Luckily, um, uh, NPS, Newark Parks, uh, I'm sorry, um, uh, National Park Services, and SHPO, the State Historical Preservation uh, Organization, both saw what we were trying to do, and they finally uh, allowed us to do this project as a historical tax credit project. Okay. So uh, after receiving the approval, you get 20% of the development cost as a historical tax credit. Now the tax credit is a federal tax credit. We end up taking these tax credit and selling it to a federal program. Uh, I'm sorry, a federal business that could utilize the tax credits. That was U.S. Bancorp. U.S. Bank was in this, in this particular one was U.S. Bank. And they pay us a portion. So for every dollar, they'll give you whatever, 75 cents, 80 cents, 90, 85 cents based on what the value is at that time. Sure. So you take that, those funds and then you use those to build the building. Because so they'll essentially what, give you money to build a building correct. up front. And they give it to you throughout the construction project. So they'll give you a little bit in the beginning, a little bit in the middle, and a little bit at the end when you're completed. And what was the rough estimate of the, the benefits from the HTC perspective that the project got? So on this project, it was roughly $2.5 million okay. in historical tax credits. And new market tax credits, was that the most valuable incentive that the building was built? It was almost in? the same. I mean, they so were both the, 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 the challenging part with the historical tax credits is, yes, they give you the tax credits, but the hard part is you actually have to build it to historical levels. Ah. So you have to install accurate windows that portray the historical details of the building. You have to clean and, and repoint the exterior again, to the, to, the, to, the, uh, to NPS's standards. You have to, the circulation has to be done right. The, uh, you can't build any exteriors, any like detail, new additions to the exterior. Signage is important. So even though they give you those tax credits, it does cost you more to qualify for that. Got it. But you know what, I mean, for us, um, we've been big fans of historical buildings and we were gonna do that work anyway, so we might as well get the tax credit to help us build these projects. And then similarly for new market tax credits, um, what were the eligibility requirements that were necessary for this building and was the return structured in a similar way to HDCs? So uh, new market tax credits is a little bit of a different program. It's also a federal program. Sure. Uh, you, have to, you have to team up with a, uh, a community developer so a community developer that gets a new market allocation from the federal government. So they have an allocation and they get to use it on projects in the community. So with new market tax credits, you're doing two things. You're job creating yep. and helping the community. So you have to build that story for them to give you the tax credits. In this particular, set, in this particular case, we were helping the, the Board of Education find a new home that's centralized to their, to their area and create new jobs. So they were able to bring on new people. We will bring on a retail on the first floor and the, the gym on the second floor. So all that job creation is part of the, the new market tax credits program. And then uh, there, I believe that was New Jersey Community Capital that was Correct. involved in that yeah, perspective. And JCC. They're, they're also another great partner. We've worked with them on a couple of other projects in Newark. Okay. Uh, the, I, the, the good thing is we were able to take a lot of what we learned I mean, I call this, it's, it's been a, a, a 10-year MBA program for me, figuring out how to do real estate development. Got it. So we took everything we learned in Newark. Probably much more valuable than an actual MBA. Yeah, right? it would have been cheaper to go to a... Maybe, yeah, <laughs> but <yeah>. anyway. <laughs> That's uh, a whole other story. <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, the, the, the cost of education and development is... is that's, like you said, that's another, the whole other story. 
uh, we were able to take all of our uh, learned mistakes from Newark and uh, some of the other projects we worked on and apply them to this project. Um, and, you know, fortunately enough, with the help of the city, we were able to, to capitalize on that. So I think incentives, uh, we can agree, are an incredibly important part of kickstarting development in areas across New Jersey and across the country. Um, now let's talk about the elephant in the room. Uh, for example, uh, Amazon and its attempt for uh, getting financing for its headquarters too um, was able to attract incredibly large sums of money uh, for the development of a new campus. Where do you think, um, either specifically in that example or more broadly from your experience, where do you think the line is drawn between incentives that are a necessity versus incentives that can work their way towards a windfall for a developer? So, I mean, you have to look at the, 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 the basis of an incentive. What is incentive? It's to incentivize you as a developer or business or whatever to come to a particular location. Be it Passaic or elsewhere. Whatever. I mean, the, the cities are all competing. The state is all competing. Everybody's competing to bring that business. And at the end of the day, it's jobs, right? Bring those jobs to a particular location. So you have to incentivize the person bringing those jobs to come to, this, to, to, to a location like this. In our particular case, we were competing with the Jersey City market. We were competing with the New York market, the Hoboken market, the whatever market that's more desirable than the Passaic market. So, uh, and, I mean, we have, that's on a local level, but on a, on a, on a federal level, a historical building like this architecturally is a gem to to knock it down or to repurpose it to something that doesn't respect the history is to me is a, is a loss yeah. you know nationally we need to preserve our history preserve our what we're proud of so the the this the, the HTC program is an incentive for developers like us to say you know what take this building that's going to be a challenge here's a few extra dollars and get it done so that is on the, on, the, on the historical tax credit side. On the city side, I mean, you mentioned Amazon and all these businesses. When businesses come to locations like this, and I'm not defending or, uh, I, you know, this is, you know, I'm not a fan of any side of this, but I believe uh, for developers like us in particular in real estate, uh, it, these developments are a challenge. I mean, this is, this is a five-year program, five-year project for us. You know, from from that first phone call to to a CO and to post CO, it's at least four or five years. You know, you have to do the math on that and make sure it's it's a viable project. So there is a lot of costs here. Uh, a project like this sat vacant for 30 years because it was a challenge. We're competing with the construction prices of New York and trying to deliver that same quality in Passaic, because at the end of the day, we don't want to build something that we're not proud of. So we want to build the, that New York quality in Passaic. So all of these incentives help us get to a baseline that's manageable. We're not breaking the bank here. We're just, I mean, we're, we're a smaller developer. We want to do these projects. And without these, pro, without these incentives, we wouldn't be able to do that. And, you know, when, when you look at the new market tax credit uh, program, that's set up for business, for creating for creating jobs. A commercial enterprise. Com it has to be commercial. If you don't do job creation, then you don't qualify. That's an awesome program. I mean, the more job creation we have, the more pride we have with the residents. 
with the staff person, with whatever. Sure. Because once you create, give a person a job, it, it helps that family in, 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 a, in a multitude of ways. Like I look back at Newark, we've done a number of projects in Newark, and I did a chart the other day because you know we're always uh, we're always talking to a lot of the the city folks and 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 I looked at the job creation we did and over the past ten years we created over a thousand jobs in all our developments. This is you and your company through and my its company, development and enterprise. it's through our. That's impressive. Very impressive. Uh, um, that's something I'm very proud of. Like to say, and I, I always complain. I always tell my mom, you know, uh, like this, this is a tough business. Yeah. So every once in a while I'll get a call from her. She's like, "What's going on?" Whatever. And I'll be, she'll call me at a bad time. I'll be stressed out. She's like, what's wrong? Whatever. And I'm like, this happened, this happened. I don't give her a lot of details, but I just give, she could, she could hear it in my voice. And then, and then I told her about like the job creation. She's like, you know something, if anything, if, if, you know, if the projects don't go the path you want, at least you are able to create these jobs. Yeah. At least you're able to give back to the community and to make the, make the area a little bit better than when, when you came there. So uh, these incentive programs, at, at their basis are meant to do that. Uh, they're, they, they're obviously, there are people who take advantage of them, and I understand that, and I see that. Uh, but at the essence of it, at the end of the day, I think it's, it's a net positive. Uh, hopefully the people you know, taking advantage take less advantage, or we could create structures where it would make the taking advantage a little bit more challenging. But for the most part, I think they're a net positive to, to the, the community that they're in. I want to take a moment to tell listeners about our host, Michael Graves Architecture and Design. This design firm has been serving clients worldwide for 55 years. From their offices in Princeton, New Jersey, New York City, and Washington, D.C., they provide planning, architecture, interior design, and graphic design services for many different building types. Hotels and resorts, office buildings, cultural and educational facilities, housing, healthcare, and civic structures are all part of their repertoire. With hundreds of awards for design excellence, it's clear that they care deeply about their profession and are keen to share ideas widely. So you're the developer uh, for this project as well as a designer and the construction manager. At the outset and through the course of the project, how did having control of all of those three roles benefit you in the development process? Well, it goes back to when we started uh, on our first projects. I don't think we had an option. I mean, again, we were competing with the New York market. With the New York market, how do we do all of this and still build these these buildings? So, having these services in house was out of necessity. I mean, uh, ideally, you know, nobody wants to do everything, but uh, I think because we did everything, we were able to keep it tight and be able to deliver. Uh, at, at, a, at a reasonable um, uh, reasonable price tag because uh, having all these third parties outside of uh, our business wouldn't have made this thing possible and especially with rehabs rehabs you're constantly changing uh, it's funny whenever we submit a permit set I know for a fact it doesn't really matter because we end up redesigning a thing because once you get in there you're doing demo you're removing you know Things that, that don't belong, and you, you're redesigning the building as you as you as you work on it. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier that <clears throat> you mentioned earlier that uh, you had the opportunity to work with your brothers Thayer and Anner. Uh, could you talk about how you divided responsibilities amongst the uh, the various team members at your company? Sure. 
Um, so it's a, it's a very family-oriented business. Uh, even our office, I mean, we, we have a small office that, uh, and we try, to, we, try, we try to bring on team members that, uh, that are passionate about what we do. Uh, at the end of the day, if you're just coming to, 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 for a job, we're not interested. We want you to really believe in what we're doing. And fortunately, we've had some good luck getting the right people on board. Uh, internally, we kind of divide it um, uh, uh, in a couple ways. Uh, I usually take care of the construction and, and design side of things. Uh, my brother, Thafer, works on the, um, all of the operations, all of the, uh, the taxes, the insurance, all of the making sure things are paid. You know, he's on more on the accounting side. And Amir works on the property management side. And we all work on, on business development because we all have to go out there and make sure that we're, we're either bringing, we're finding new deals or bringing investors or working with, with city guys to, to uh, make sure these projects are, are, are viable. And you mentioned earlier that Blink, uh, that a number of your tenants have uh, made commitments to hiring locally. For example, uh, Blink Fitness, their entire staff lives locally here in Passaic. This community-minded approach um, that, that we've talked about earlier, how do you see that mindset uh, being a part of your entire business process? So uh, being, um, being a local community developer, and that's, I mean, that's, 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 that's what we are, uh, we've always hired locally. I want to say on average over 50% of our workforce and our subcontractors are either Newark or Passaic-based. In this particular project, it was, a lot of it was Passaic. Uh, what we try to do, we've done this in other projects, we've done projects outside of the Newark area. And typically, if we go to a certain city, we'll hire the local architect maybe for entitlements, or we'll hire the local attorney for approval process. And the local, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll ask and find out who the local contractors are. We'll, we'll ask them for their help. So We've learned being in Newark, having that local, and, and fortunately for us, Newark has a ton of resources. There's a lot of contractors, very high skilled labor force. Uh, we've been fortunate to be able to get a lot of those contractors to work with us. And on average, we're, we're, we're over 50% local and minority workforce for us in Newark. And in that case, that's something that you are not necessarily required to do. It's something that you're choosing to do as well, right? We, we've been doing that since we started. Now it's becoming a requirement for the city of Newark. So if you want to do tax abatements or get any city subsidies, you have to do local and minority participation. And I, I've always told the councilman or the mayor or whoever we speak to at City Hall, look at our track record. We've been doing this since we started before you asked us to do it. And I think they, they really appreciate that. So you mentioned earlier um, in terms of uh, the building and, and how it's operating now that uh, the eyes on the street, this idea that having uh, activity be visible uh, from the streetscape is an integral part of improve, improving an urban environment. So in this context, uh, Blink Fitness opens at 5 a.m. Yeah. Um, Mama Sushi sometimes closes at 3 a.m. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's a, a constant flow of people through the building. From your perspective, having been there before the project uh, started and now after it's completed and successfully finished, do you see a visible change in the physical environment by having uh, this building be occupied as opposed to being uh, empty? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it, it's, uh, it's definitely um, motivated the, the surrounding retailers to upgrade their facades. I know a new building, new building was built across the street. A lot of the, the streetscape, which you mentioned before, is getting sure. done. 
the park next door, which they actually call, named uh, the Joe Buga Park. So they're redoing the park. I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to start in the spring. They're going to redo the whole park. They now have, uh, uh, I've been told, the only one in the world. It's the New Year's pinata dropping. <laughs> so they, they dropped the pinata off of this building <laughs> okay. uh, on New Year's. And last year, even in the rain, it was very successful. The pinata came down. The pinata came down. So we're doing it again this year. We're looking forward to it. Uh, the, the mayor has been awesome doing this. He's, a, he's, he, he's, uh, he's been a driving force on this project. He sees the importance of the building, and he sees that the activation of this building really helps the main street. So he's invested a lot of time and effort. And even just having, you know, we say jokingly, but this, 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 uh, the New Year's event is great for the whole area. If he starts building a yearly event around it, it helps the restaurants, it helps the retailers, it brings attention to the city, it might bring in new retailers that never considered Passaic. So all of this stuff really helps. And it all started because they helped support this building and bring it back and make it active again. So it's this idea of this incremental approach to improvement uh, building by building. Correct. Great. Uh, and so now the lights are on, the landmark clock is working again. And this is essentially the beginning of a new era of development for Passaic and the end of your five-year adventure on this project right. as a developer, architect, and construction manager. Where do you place this project in the arc of your own uh, personal career and the projects that you've worked on? So uh, this compared to my, like I mentioned before, my 10-year MBA program, <laughs> uh, this, was, uh, this allowed us to take everything we learned and really apply it. Um, in development, uh, you're just making, you're always making mistakes. The idea is just to make less of them and to stop making the same ones. Sure. So uh, this one I thought was good. I would change a couple of things, but for the most part, I'm, I'm very happy. We had uh, uh, great people on board. Like we had, uh, uh, we had uh, Jeff Moynian, uh, I'm sorry, Jeff uh, Manhe, who, um, who helped us on the financing on this. Okay. We had uh, US Bank, we had uh, uh, New Jersey Community Capital. So our financing team was solid. Uh, our contractors were, were, uh, were some of the same contractors we used in Newark, so they knew what, we, what we'd like and we like to build. So we were making less mistakes and doing it much more efficiently. Okay. So the, the construction on this project, I believe it was a little less than 15 months for a project this size, that's great. 120,000 square 120, feet, 15 months. 15 months. Uh, it was awesome. I, I want to say like the, our construction team, uh, and our design team was was stellar on this, uh, and and now you know this I think you know uh, for us as a company allowed us to show more investors and more banks what we're able to uh, to deliver. So um, now we're you know fortunately doing more projects similar size, um, similar challenges, and it just it builds more confidence for us also. I mean just for us, my team, myself. It allows us to say, okay, okay, this is a large building. It's 100, over 100,000 feet. I have more confidence now to do one bigger or one more complicated or whatever. So, you know, as, as much as I sometimes, you know, uh, joke about the, what I've learned and the, the mistakes we made, I don't think we're able to be who we are today without all those mistakes. There is no quick way around development. You can't just wake up one day and say, I want to de develop. 
You know, I always tell people developments like you're the, you're the ringleader in a circus. It's not something simple. I mean, you have lions on one side, you have trampoline guys, you have clowns, you have cars, you have, and you're the guy in the middle making sure nobody crashes. Yeah, or the lion doesn't eat the trampoline off guy. Of, off of the ropes, people, yeah. people, lions are not jumping and, and biting people. There's, there's so many, <laughs> there's so many uh, challenges in development. So. I think uh, the, what we've learned in, in the past is what's making us today. So, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to say that, you know, we've learned a lot and now we're trying to implement those. Uh, we'll always make mistakes, maybe just less of them and maybe less expensive ones. Sure. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, all I could, I, that's all I could wish for. Uh, we have time for a few questions. I was wondering about um, when you started out in Newark, there were was a time when there wasn't a lot going on in Newark, but there was a lot of potential. Did you have particular role models or mentors or teaming relationships that helped you build all of the knowledge that you have? Um, I want to say like my favorite mentor was probably Clem Price. Unfortunately, he passed away. Uh, and uh, I didn't know him very well, but we, we met a number of times and we got very friendly near like the, the uh, a couple of years before he passed. And he was the one guy who said, we know how hard this is, just be patient. And there's people who really uh, care about what you're doing. And, you know, along with him, and I, I think maybe the, the, the whole landmark committee in Newark, I think it was probably the most comforting in this business because all these buildings were tough and they knew and they've seen the history of Newark. They've seen the obstacles, the, 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 all of the mishits and all of the challenges and all of the issues that they had. And f when we're taking one building at a time and bringing it back to life, they appreciate it the most. Like they would always be the people that, that asked for tours after the facts, less so the other, the business folks, as long as you made a couple of dollars, it's fine. But these, this group of people, like you have Liz, Liz Del Tufo and Zemin Zhang, and all these people really loved uh, what we were working on. And some people I didn't even know would come out of the blue sometimes like, oh, I, I love what you did with that building. I'm, I'm glad you kept the, uh, the, uh, the lobby of this building. I'm glad you restored this. You're glad. And we saw it, and I knew how difficult it was to bring these things back to life. And it's nice when somebody actually appreciates it. So I want to say in Newark, without them, it would have made the whole process a lot more difficult. Yeah. So Samer, given your background in architecture, mm. how um, hands-on and sleeves rolled up are you in the design process? Uh, or do you just say? No, uh, it's, it's at a point where it's a little too much. I've learned how to deal with it now. <laughs> Less design, more construction, more business. Uh, like we, uh, in the first few projects, we kind of over-designed. And uh, I love them. I mean, the, the, the end product was great. I mean, you look at the Hotel Indigo today, I'm very proud of the end results. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes the, the business model doesn't make sense with the detail. I mean, you have to... And now I see why certain you know, developers, which I hope we never take the path, the shortcut to anything. But I understand sometimes you have to uh, make sure your design makes sense with the, the, the end product. 
if you're over designing something or over building it, it may not be utilized. Uh, with the historical buildings, I'm glad that we always try to restore, restore the historical aspects. But sometimes we have to just be realistic with the, the end product of what, it, what will it be used for and is it a, is it a, is it a profitable end result. And I'm not saying to, to just build for the profit. I'm just, being, just saying be more conscious of it. You might not need to do certain things that are not going to change the experience of the building. Yeah. But we're very hands-on. I mean, we're, uh, I want to say uh, I spent half of my week uh, doing design with the team. Like we have a, we have a, a staff architect who takes care of all the, the, the architecture. Uh, uh, Brandon's an awesome uh, designer, a great architect, uh, very involved. He's involved with a lot of the AIA committees and with, the, with NGIT. We're very plugged into NGIT. We make sure that we try to give back as much as possible. Uh, they've, been, they've been awesome support also. That's another, you know, besides the landmark folks, NGIT has been an awesome support. Uh, it's been good. I mean, uh, but, but at the end of the day, it does take a lot of our effort to actually deliver these products. Yeah. So thanks so much for joining us today, Samir. Thanks for having me. Uh, next time, I'll be interviewing John Picard, the founder and partner of Picard Chilton, an award-winning design firm based in New Haven, Connecticut, with clients like Uber, ExxonMobil, and Google. My name is Atif Kader, and this has been Conversations with Michael Graves. Thanks, man. I appreciate it.